Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we interview journalists and think tank types about topical global issues. And we go deep with foreign policy thought leaders and luminaries who discuss their life and career. So here's a stat that may surprise you. Most foreign aid does not go to the poorest countries on Earth. In fact, only about 30% of official development assistance from donor governments goes to the 47 least developed countries in the world. Why is this the case? What would be a more appropriate ratio of foreign aid to the poorest countries on Earth? And what could these countries be doing to raise their own domestic sources of revenue so they're not as dependent on foreign aid? On the line with me to discuss these questions and more is Sarah Harcourt of The One Campaign, which recently released a comprehensive report that crunches some of the big data on foreign assistance and makes the case that more aid should be directed to the poorest countries on the planet, and that those countries as a whole need to commit a greater proportion of their own GDP to health and education. If you're into data and global development, and who isn't, you will love this episode. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com and download the app or subscribe for free on iTunes. Lots of great content there for you to peruse. And a quick reminder before we start to keep sending me your suggestions of people I should interview or topics I should cover. I take those seriously and I read all of your suggestions and I have executed against them in the past and I will act on them in the future. Hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg or better yet, you can send me an email via globaldispatchespodcast.com. There's a little contact button up there. And I really do love hearing from you and whatever feedback you might have for me about the podcast. Okay, so here it is, my conversation with Sarah Harcourt of The One Campaign. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Not only does only a third, actually less than a third of official development assistance goes to the least developed countries, but I think more concerning is the fact that uh, that ratio is declining. Uh, so last year in 2014, we saw that whilst global aid increased by about 2%, uh, aid to the least developed countries or the poorest countries actually decreased by 2%. Um, so, I mean, I think that Given looking ahead uh, at the sustainable development goals being agreed later this year, knowing that, you know, there are a lot of the poorest countries, two thirds of which are in Africa of the least developed countries, and that a large majority of those have not met uh, the Millennium Development Goals previously. So in order to ensure that they, ensure that they have a chance of 
reaching the SDGs over the next 15 years, we think it's particularly important uh, that we focus on them with official development assistance. But also in the report, I mean, we talk about how not only is ODA important, but, you know, the importance of all financing flows and actually, you know, most crucially boosting the domestic resources mm -hmm. of all countries, including the LDCs. Yeah, and, and we'll definitely talk about that. But to, to talk about the, the least developed countries a little more specifically, I mean, this is what, like a UN designation, right, That of 47-ish countries that are the poorest of the poor in the world. That's how you're, you know, you're designated in, in uh, LDC. Exactly. So, I mean, I think this started around about the 70s when the UN kind of put this group together with the idea that this should be a group that should have special focus in terms of ODA, in terms of trade preferences and otherwise. I think, you know, what we've seen through the years is that unfortunately they haven't um, had as many kind of special advantages as they should. There is a current standing UN target that says 0.15 to 0.2% of G&I um, should go to LDCs in the form of aid, but that's very far off from being met as well. Um, so that's why we're actually calling for a new target that's quite simple, but just asking for 50% of aid to go to LDCs. And, and what's the current level? So the current level is about 30%. And you're talking about official development assistance, right? Can you explain what that is in, in the you know, global development lexicon? Sure. I mean, so this is money that's referred to as aid, overseas aid, development assistance. Um, it includes humanitarian assistance, uh, basically all the money that's given in either grants, which basically means, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be repaid, or it could be in the form of concessional loans. So below market rate loans to countries um, on very beneficial terms for them to repay to be repaid over amount of time. So that's basically what uh, ODA is referred mm -hmm. to. Or and it's like official you know, donor government assistance. It has nothing to do with philanthropy. It's like the Gates Foundation, right? No, exactly. So that would be private assistance that mm -hmm. uh, NGOs or philanthropies give. Exactly. So bringing this home to the USA, um, you know, your report demonstrates that most, as you say, aid doesn't actually go to those 47 poorest countries. So at least in, in like the American context, where does most of the USA's foreign assistance go? So there's there's a few different categories. I mean, in terms of breaking it down between either the LDCs or other developing countries, uh, many of which are middle-income countries, there are some middle-income countries that are also designated as LDCs, to be fair, because it's not just based on income, but it's also based on kind of progress against kind of key development outcomes, which is why it's different from the designation of like low-income, lower-middle-income, middle-income, mm -hmm. et cetera. Uh, but the the other developing countries that are not LDCs are mostly, I would say, middle income and upper middle income countries. Uh, and, you know, there is a large proportion of USAID that goes to those countries. About 40 percent goes to those middle income countries that includes Kenya, um, Pakistan, Nigeria, Syria, West Bank. These are lots of other countries that are obviously strategically important to the U.S. and the U.S. has, you know, long-standing support for, for them. Um, but they're not the least developed countries. There's also another proportion of U.S. assistance. About around a quarter of U.S. aid is not country specified. They call it so that can't be attributed to any particular country, and it could include any matter of things related to 
maybe non-transferred costs. So things that are recorded as development assistance, but don't actually go to countries. So this could be kind of debt relief or mm -hmm. student costs or development awareness activities and administrative costs um, that donors can charge. Or this could be things related to regional projects um, that go to various different countries so they can't be attributed to one. Or this could also include um, kind of core contributions and core support for multilaterals or NGOs. So that's about a quarter of assistance. So a th about a third of US assistance goes to LDCs, about a quarter is not specified to any other country, and then about 40% goes to uh, the other developing countries and mostly middle-income mm -hmm. countries. Well, and the ones that, you know, you said are, are strategically more important, like say Pakistan, um, you know, is is one reason why the proportion of, of ODA, of official development assistance, going to the least developed countries so low is that they're generally sort of geostrategic backwaters? I mean, you could, you could probably argue that, sadly. <laughs> um, they're also, I mean, a lot of them are fragile states, um, you know, can be can be difficult sometimes. I mean, I think the U.S. has been good in terms of saying that, you know, they are willing and happy to kind of focus on some of these fragile states. And, and in fact, they should probably be the areas where we are focusing more aid so that in the future they don't <laughs> become... Uh, you know, countries that unfortunately have further conflict or, or um, that have other issues. So that's another good reason, I think, to support them early on. Uh, they're, they're smaller countries overall. So a lot of times we'll hear the argument that, you know, well, there's more poor people living in middle income countries than there are in least developed countries. Um, and actually, our kind of argument why we why we would think instead that we need to focus on the least developed countries is that whilst that might be true now, if you look at projections moving forward, um, it, by 2030 in the next 15 years, LDCs are supposed to go from having about 35% of the global burden of poverty, which they have now, moving up to having as much as 50% of the global burden in the future. And at the same time, they have uh, much more depth of poverty right now as well. So across the LDCs, about 43% of people are living in extreme poverty versus across other developing countries, it's only about 13%. So, and at the same time, we're also talking about, you know, differences in the amount of resources that these countries have. So if you look at within the report, we kind of talk about the different levels of both domestic resources. So that's countries own revenues and budgets compared to other things like foreign direct investment. So kind of private investment in the country or remittances and also ODA flows, you can see that other developing countries have up to three times as much kind of domestic revenues and external flows as the least developed countries do. So these countries have the highest burden of poverty, the least access to other forms of financing, and ODA is really kind of most crucial in these countries. And the idea is that by the end of September, when the sustainable development goals are set, uh, the top goal is going to be to zero out extreme poverty by the end of 2030. Um, but if your current projections are such that 50% of the global extreme poverty burden, which I suppose you're defining by people who live on less than $1.25 a day, will you know will, will be persistent in, in least developed countries unless the international community is, is more focused on singularly fighting extreme poverty in these poorest countries in the world. Well, exactly. I mean, if our goal is 
to end poverty. And generally, I think that is the goal of a lot of development assistance. Um, and and in general, that is the, the goal of ODA. Then it has to be focused on those countries that have the kind of highest poverty rates and again, the least access to other resources. Uh, and that's why I think we're, we're also focused on uh, July's Financing for Development Conference mm -hmm. that's happening in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. So this will be a few months ahead of when the SDGs will be agreed in New York. And we really see FFD or Financing for Development Conference as kind of the pivotal moment of the year, if not even for the next 15 years, really, because if kind of governments don't step up and make these key commitments to fighting poverty, to increasing domestic resources, to increasing aid and focusing it on the poorest countries, then we have no chance to actually meet these ambitious uh, sustainable development goals that are going to be agreed later in the year. So can you take, actually take a step back and let's talk about the Financing for Development Conference in Addis in, in July. I mean, this is a big inflection point for the UN system and for the international development community more broadly. I think there are, there are kind of two sets of questions. The first is, what do you expect to come from this conference, knowing what you know now, and what do you hope to come from this conference? So let's start with the first one. Like what, what do you expect in concrete terms to come from this conference based on what you're seeing now? So... I mean, I think we we have something to kind of refer to in terms of the fact that there have been two of these conferences previously. There was the Financing for Development Conference in Monterey, which I think was around 2003. And then there was the follow-up second Financing for Development Conference in Addis in 2008. And so basically, the those financing conferences were... Uh, attended by, or, or I would say agreed by all countries. Um, they were looking at the range of flows that finance development, so they're not just focused on ODA, um, but include domestic resources, private finance, looking at trade and other areas. And they were really good for kind of laying out um, what the development finance agenda looks like and laying out some key principles. And so I think at a minimum, we will see kind of the next order of that uh, in July. So there've already been negotiations ongoing the past few months in New York, in the UN, amongst all of the member states kind of looking at what this outcome document will be for July. Um, I think it's it's a lot of the same, reiterating some of the same principles and commitments, trying to bring in, I think, a bit more in terms of a more focus potentially on climate finance, more focus on technical assistance and technology transfer, which is a big issue for a lot of countries this year. Um, so that will probably be further reiterated as it was in kind of previous FFD summits. Uh, so is the outcome document, you say, sort of like a, a almost like a grand bargain between donor and recipient countries in which donors pledge to somehow reform or increase what their ODA looks like and, and also um, ha include some other elements around climate finance and this tech transfer fund that you describe. And then the recipient countries themselves perhaps agree to increase their proportion of domestic spending on things like health and education. I think that's the key goal. I mean, there's a lot of talk this year about uh, universality and not, you know, donors versus recipients are kind of some of the old models or modes of kind of thinking about countries, because obviously there are a lot of countries that are both recipients and donors, a lot of the emerging economies like China and India who are kind of straddling that line. Um, 
so but but I mean I think in the simplest terms uh, it is kind of asking for all partners to step up and make their key commitments I think our hope is that um, and where we'd like to see this outcome document be different from previous financing conferences is that we do have strong, clear, concrete commitments from all development partners to increase development financing, be it ODA or domestic resources, et cetera, with actually clear targets to do so. So in our report, we point to the fact that, you know, donors need to recommit to 0.7 to get 50% of ODA to LDCs. We say that for developing countries, um, but really all countries, we want everyone to work towards boosting domestic resources, clamping down on illicit financial flows, and working towards uh, revenue to GDP targets. Um, so basically just saying to, to collect a greater amount of revenue um, versus their GDP. So we have clear targets in there. Uh, so basically it's kind of mutual accountability is what we're looking for, a, a global pact in some ways. But I think the, the fear is that countries are going to kind of skirt around um, around any clear targets that they can be held accountable to and, you know, maybe espouse the principles of, you know, increasing assistance and, and focusing it better, but not having any actual clear targets that they would be working towards. Where does this question of uh, the 0.7% target of GNI going for official development assistance stand currently? In, in ADIS or in the larger SDG negotiations? And what countries have committed to that and what countries are still sort of skirting it? So to be fair, the, the 0.7 was actually one of the kind of only targets that was uh, in the previous financing for development conferences. So even in Monterey, technically all governments signed up to 0.7. I think a lot of governments, unfortunately, did not see that as binding. So it was further reiterated within the European Union. And I think in 2005, the EU committed that their countries would meet 0.7% by 2015. Uh, which obviously they're a long way off from, but the EU countries on the whole average about 0.41% uh, ODA out of GNI versus the kind of overall DAC countries or the OECD DAC that tracks development assistance mm -hmm. um, and all of the members of that uh, group. And, and just just unpack that the, the, the OECD DAC is the is is the um, like a collection of the main donor countries in the world. Exactly. The, the kind of 28 main donors mm -hmm. um, and their kind of average aid stands at 0.29 percent ODA out of GNI. So the the EU is obviously quite above that, but they're still quite far off from meeting 0.7. And then there are other countries like the U.S. who I don't think have ever kind of, you know, worked towards 0.7%. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. is something at like 0.2-ish? 0.19, yep, exactly. 0.19. And, and the U.K., I mean, they're they're like the, the, the shining example, right, the darlings of the international development community, because they've not only committed to 0.7, but they've actually hit it, right? Well, exactly. The U.K., where... I'm living now, um, has quite proudly, uh, I think two years ago, hit, in, well, in 2013, hit 0.7 for the first time. They're the first G7 country to do so, so the first major donor, and they joined four other countries who have already hit um, 0.7. But so those overall, there are only five those generous Scandinavians, right, are the other ones? Yes, yes, yeah. the other Scandinavians. Um, 
so yes, the UK hit 0.7, uh, but again, you know, there are a lot of other European donors who have committed to that um, and haven't met it and, you know, sadly don't seem to be working towards it. But yesterday, uh, when we launched our data report, actually, there was a meeting of the Foreign Affairs Council in the EU where happily they have uh, in their document kind of recommitted to this 0.7. Um, we were hoping that they would also commit with a timetable for when they would meet it. We were hoping within the next five years, so by 2020. Um, thus far, the language kind of in that document is that, you know, in the next 15 years, they would try to meet 0.7, um, which in terms of, you know, if you're thinking about trying to achieve the sustainable development goals and when countries are going to need the money to achieve those goals, it's probably not going to be in 2030. They're going to need it a lot sooner than that if they're going to achieve the goals by 2030. So we will keep pushing for, um, for timetables much earlier than that and for countries to, to meet the target before that and hoping that likewise within the Addis outcome document um, that we can get something much more ambitious. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. This was very helpful and clarifying. Yep. Thank you so much. It was great. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Sarah Harcourt of the One Campaign. Interesting report. I suggest you go to the one.org and check it out. Read for yourself the fun data contained therein. And if you love this podcast, first, thank you very much. I mean, it's very, very gratifying to know that so many people out there derive so much value and interest and, dare I say, entertainment even from this podcast. So thank you so much. I really do do appreciate your support. And I love hearing from you. It really keeps me energized and keeps me wanting to put out two episodes a week. Anyway, if you do love this podcast, please consider writing a review on iTunes or at the very least giving it a star or five on iTunes. It helps other people who are similarly foreign policy, human rights-y, global healthy, international development-y minded find the podcast. So anyway, thank you so much and we'll see you next time. Bye.